This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Empty and broken, I came back to Him. A vessel unworthy, so scarred with sin. But He did not despair. He started pile of clay just of mine that he threw away, but uh, thankfully he reshaped us. He molded us into a vessel of honor. So good to worship with you on this Labor Day weekend. Thank you for, for coming. 
Thank you for tuning in. Genesis chapter 24 will provide uh, at least some of the foundation. We'll be in several different scriptures today, but that's kind of the, uh, the backbone of, of our, our lesson. Genesis chapter 24, an organization did a study of the number one secret for living a long life. And, and of course, the Bible already tells us that in the fifth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, if we honor our father and mother, we will be blessed with many days on earth. Uh, but here's what this secular organization said was the secret for living a long life. Let me actually, first of all, tell you what they did not attribute long life to. They, um, first of all, this study did not attribute long life to eating right. Now, I know they say that eating right does make a difference in your health, even though in my very humble but accurate opinion, eating right, <laughs> you know what, uh, is probably overrated. And uh, just my opinion here, uh, that's what I'm choosing to believe. Um, it's like that cartoon of, of people in a nursing home. They were feeble, couldn't get around, and life was a struggle. And they said, this is our reward for eating healthy food. We get to enjoy life in the nursing home. But anyway, it, you know that. If anything tastes good, it's probably not healthy for you. You just need to spit it out. Um, and, and I know I should quit putting heavy whipping cream on my cereal, but you've got to die of something. Something else that they did not mention as a contributing factor to long life was exercise, which again, I think uh, exercise is overrated. They, uh, you know, like that saying that you, you've all heard, the rabbit runs, hops, gets all kinds of exercise, only lives to about, you know, five years old. And the turtle never runs, never gets his heart rate up, lives to be over 100 years. Um, nor did the study attribute long life to avoiding red meat or being a vegetarian or taking vitamins or natural herbs and all that stuff that you get at a health food store. And I'm sure that all of those things are helpful, even though I found that those people get sick and die as well. But anyway, this organization, after their study, they concluded that the leading factor to long life was job satisfaction. In other words, if you like your job, your chances are better of living a long life. If you don't like your job, you may be pushing up daisies sooner than others. Now, on this Labor, Labor Day weekend, because of so much unhappiness at the workplace, and, and if you go around and ask people, do you like your job? Many of them would say, I hate it, but it's a necessary evil. But because of so much unhappiness at the workplace, I, I felt I should deal with our attitudes regarding our jobs as well as maybe even expand our thoughts to include our attitudes towards the tasks that we do around the house or even around the church. Now, when it comes to the jobs that I've had over the years, I've been very fortunate. With the exception of one job early in my adult life, I've pretty much enjoyed every job I've ever had. I haven't enjoyed every aspect of about my jobs as, as a missionary. I, I can't say that I always enjoyed eating everything that was set before me. You know, God has blessed me with a very strong stomach as well as the ability to not just eat anything, but to enjoy most everything I'm fed. I, I, that's, that's a blessing from God. But there was one plate that was called oyake, and, and it was a type of soup that had a fish in it that was about six inches long, and they would cook up that fish whole with the eyes, the innards, the scales. And while you were eating that soup, they said that the fish was dead. But I'm telling you, that fish would just kind of raise its head out of the soup and, and just stare at you. I could hardly take that. Also, part of my job in Bolivia 
when I would visit, you know, out-of-the-way churches, sometimes in the Andean mountains, sometimes in the, in the jungles, because of no other accommodations, I would have to sleep in common rooms with other people, you know, who had walked for hours to get to church, and, and sometimes the room would be the actual church building, sometimes it was another adobe hut, but many times men and women would sleep in the same room, and they would snore, make other noises and smells, which I won't name, not to mention that there would be rats and mice running up and down the walls, chickens walking around the room, clucking guinea pigs, darting around on the floor. I can't say that I always love that aspect of my job. I can't say that I even enjoy all the aspects of my job here. I, I like marrying people, but I don't like burying them. And unfortunately, I've buried hundreds, only married dozens. But overall, you know, I've loved most of the jobs I've had. Hopefully this little monologue will get us pointed in the right direction as we, as we turn to Genesis 24 and, and talk about doing our, our jobs as well as other tasks with excellence. Let me give you a very important setting here. Abraham in this story is an old man. His wife Sarah has died. His son Isaac is about 40 years of age, is unmarried, and is a very eligible bachelor and in the market for a wife. It's the job of the parents to select a mate for the child. Young people, did you hear me? Hannah, did you hear me? Isaiah, did you hear me? Megan, did you hear me? Ryan, Logan? It was the job of the parents to select a husband or wife for their child. Anyway, Abraham gets his servant Eliezer and says, I want you to go back to my home area because I don't want my son to be unequally yoked with a local pagan who has different values and, and a different religious background. And so he says, go back to my hometown where they follow God, Jehovah, and I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. So that's the background. Let's pick up our reading, Genesis chapter 24, verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharam, made his way to the town of, of Nahor. This, of course, was uh, part of the area formerly called Mesopotamia. Uh, today it's the country of Turkey. Let me just show you a, a map here, uh, which uh, would be right in this area. Mesopotamia kind of extended up here to southern Turkey, but this would be the area right right here would mainly be, be Turkey. Istanbul would be up here, uh, but right right in that area is, is where they, they were. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show me, show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you've shown your kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. 
She went down to the spring, filled her jar, came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water. Give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Now, what's outstanding about this story is that this woman at the well named Rebecca was not only willing to give this stranger a drink of water, but what's extraordinary is that she said, let me also give your camels a drink. Now, this is a big deal. Because Eliezer had brought 10 camels, and those camels would drink between 20 and 30 gallons of water. And getting water in those days meant lowering a clay bucket into a well time and time again. And they estimate that for Rebecca to get enough water for 10 camels, they estimate that it would have probably taken her nearly two hours. So considering that, that Rebecca had no obligation to do this, she wasn't being paid, she wasn't even really expected to do this, considering all of this, drawing enough water for the camels was a big deal. Now, if you would look at the prevailing attitude of those of us in America today, we would find a different attitude. And I think our attitude could be summed up by this question, what's in it for me? Hey, I'll do this, but what's in it for me? Um, or, or if this were a task at work, we would probably make this statement, it's not my job. It seems today that we are so paranoid that we're going to be taken advantage of, and many times we are, but we've become so afraid of someone using us and, and taking advantage of us that we've developed the mindset that we will not do anything beyond what is required of us. And so as employees, we do enough to keep our jobs, but we don't go above and beyond. We do the bare minimum. And the result is that there are a lot of people that are not highly productive. They're, they're slow moving. They don't have a mindset of excellence. Again, they do enough to keep their job but that's it. I, I was stunned when I read this, this, this stat here. Um, I read where 25% of the price of a new car that's built in America is now the upcharge by the manufacturer because they expect that eventually that car will be recalled due to a deficiency in the product. And so if we buy a $20,000 car, that means that $5,000 of it, a fourth of it, that the price is built in because of inferior workmanship. That, that's a horrible indictment about the American worker. But, but there's something that's even more disturbing than that, and, and that is the fact that many Christians have fallen into the same trap, and, and they've succumbed to this attitude of doing just enough to get by. And so, and so instead of being leaders in excellence, we become followers in shoddiness. Now, in the book of Matthew, <clears throat> Christ dropped a bombshell on, on his listeners. He said something that really turned some heads in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, you know this. You're, you're church people. You're smart. The Pharisees were, were the super saints. In their minds, they were the spiritual ones. Everyone else, when it came to following their religious traditions, they were second tier. They were second class. Nobody matched up to the Pharisees. So, so when Christ made this statement that, you know, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the super saint Pharisees, you know what? It, it turned heads. But Christ was trying to expose some character flaws within the Pharisees. And here's what the Pharisees would do. They, they were masters at following the letter of the law. They were rule keepers. They would have been the type that would have never been caught speeding. Not even like you do. Three to five miles because you think you're safe. Three to five miles over the speed limit. You, you could not find workers that were any more committed to following the law and fulfilling their job descriptions. But, but the problem with the Pharisees is that they had horrible attitudes. And, and yes, they would do what was required of them, but no more. That was it. And because of that character flaw, Christ gave three illustrations. You'll, you'll remember them as we go through them. In Luke chapter 6, he gives two of them. Here's the first. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. Kind of get that word picture. Turn the other side. Here's the second illustration. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Now, obviously Christ was not saying that we should just let people beat up on us. He was not saying that we should just let people take the clothes off our back. He's not saying that we should always have to be a doormat and, and let people take advantage of, us, but, uh, advantage of us. But he's trying to help us to understand the principle, listen, of going beyond the call of duty. And then we find the third illustration in Matthew 5, 41. If someone forces, and you recognize this, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, let me try to tie all of these illustrations together. The, the Jews were under Roman authority, and, and because of that, a Roman soldier could, could tap any Jew on the, uh, on the shoulder with a spear, and, and we'll just say that he taps Jeff on the, on the shoulder and, and says, give me your coat. And Jeff would have to give him his coat. Or, or, or the soldier could say, uh, Rylan, carry my backpack. And under Roman authority, the Jewish person would, would have to do that. And he would have to walk with that Roman soldier carrying his backpack one mile. There was no arguing. Rylan, you would have to go one mile. The Romans would own you for one mile. But after that first mile... Even as powerful as the Roman soldiers were, they could not force you to go one step further. You could lay that backpack down. You could walk away and be protected by the law. They could not force you to go two miles. And that's the context in which Jesus gave these three illustrations. He's teaching that the follower of Christ goes beyond the call of duty. He does extra things. He, he's not so consumed with, well, this isn't my job. He's not so obsessed with, well, what's in this for me? You know, if we as Christians operated under this Rebecca principle, I think that we would not only have excellence in the workplace, but those who do the hiring would only have one question on the application, and that would be, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? Because they would know that Christians are people of excellence. Christians do those little things that are above and beyond the call of duty. 
So can I encourage you after this Labor Day weekend, when you go back to work on Tuesday, give your boss the best that you have plus the second mile. And you know what? That, that will open the door to tell them how Jesus Christ has changed your life. If you do shoddy work, no one will want to hear about your God. Which leads me to also make this observation. We cannot walk the second mile until we've walked the first. You know, this, this, this is really important here. We have to show excellence in the first mile stuff before we do extra second mile stuff. In other words, if, if we haven't done a very good job in the required things of the job description, then the boss probably will not even notice the second mile things. You must walk the first mile before you can go the second. You know, somebody came to the church needing money, and you know, that, that's one of the parts of my job I, I don't like because it's, what, what do you do? And, and, you know, you've got some people that have fallen on hard times, and it's easy to help those, but then other times you have people that come that, that are putting their money into addictions, and so you don't want to give a cash handout, but you want to show compassion, the love of Christ, and sometimes it's just really, really tough to know where that, where that line is. Um, but anyway, this person came and needed some money, and we had some projects that we, we offered them, and they didn't like the projects, and... Um, and, and so this, this person, you know, they weren't a person that we just wanted to hand a bunch of cash to. And so we, we, we said, you know what, if you want to do some cleaning around here and they were not necessarily horrible projects, just, you know, typical cleaning, but they, they called the jobs that we were offering them. And I won't use the word publicly, but, uh, not a nice word. And they opted not to do them, uh, which was fine. But to us, those projects were first-mile tasks. And after we saw that attitude, we saw they weren't really interested in going the first mile um, because they were very able-bodied. They could do this. We decided that we didn't want to do the second-mile stuff. Um, but anyway, once we do those first-mile tasks, uh, then we can go the second mile. And what are the benefits of going the second mile? There are several, but the main ones are that the second-mile tasks always get people's attention, and it softens their hearts. Think about your marriage for a moment. Um, if every husband and wife would walk the extra mile and do for their spouse not just what was required of them, but would do the extra little things, I guarantee you, Divorce attorneys would go out of business. Marriages fall apart not when we do extra for our spouse. They fall apart when we focus on our rights and our wants and say, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. That's yours. You know, if our culture has a scar on it today, it's, as I said, we're so paranoid that our rights are going to be violated. And, you know, can I just tell you that, of course, our rights are going to be violated. Of course, things won't always be fair. Someone will always unfairly get more attention than you do. Someone will always be treated with a different standard than you are. People will always take advantage of us. But they took advantage of Jesus Christ as well. You know, don't worry so much about your rights. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 said he gave up his rights so that others would see Jesus through him. So focus on 
on doing the first mile things well, and then as God shows you second mile things, you can do them in the name of Jesus. There are three words that separate a highly successful business person, a uh, successful person from an average person. Here are the words, and then some. The highly successful business person does what he has to do, and then some. The highly successful marriage is one in which the spouse does what he or she should do for his or her mate, and then some. The good student is one who does what he's supposed to do in class, and then some. But today, instead, we constantly hear, again, it's not my job. I don't get paid to do that. I'm being taken advantage of. I'm being dumped on. And, and yes, there's a time when you may need to confront some unfairness or injustice. Uh, you know, we're not to just let people walk all over us. I'm not saying that. But let's be people of excellence, people who do extra things, second-mile things. That is what will set us apart from the crowd. And by the way, if if you're one of those who always feels you're being taken advantage of, if, if you struggle with resentment because at church or at work or at school, others seem to get more attention than you, maybe your boss or, or your pastor or your teacher seem to always choose to talk to somebody else, if that eats at you, let me predict your job future. You will probably always have a low-paying job. You will never become a true leader. Because your main concern is fairness, being taken advantage of. You will never do those extra things that will cause you to be noticed by those at the top. Not to mention, when you're always focused on, it's not fair, you're always so miserable. The Bible has a formula on how to be successful. In Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. To become a boss, or as the Bible says, you know, as, the, as the Bible says, you must be willing to do those things that servants do. You must be willing to do those things that are not your job. A, a few years ago, I was kind of naughty. I know you can't imagine that. But early one Sunday morning when I got here, I decided to test you. I, um, I, I threw a few Kleenexes on the grass by our main entrance right out here. They weren't dirty. I hadn't used them. I hadn't coughed or blown my nose. They were, they were clean. And I don't even remember what the sermon topic was for that day, but I was trying to illustrate a point. And, and that day we had 400-plus people uh, that walked into the building. And would you believe that several hundred, several hundred people that day flunked the test? They walked by those tissues and never picked them up. And it was obvious. Everybody saw them. And I know that was a lot to ask. Uh, I, I was a bad boy for testing you. I was naughty. Kleenexes are nasty. And, and uh, we, we have a lot of them that are dropped, left here in the sanctuary after each service. But, but, and here at the church, it was no big deal. I was just, it was just kind of a fun test, and we just kind of chuckled in, about it. But, but at your work... Doing those little extra nasty jobs might be the ticket for a promotion and a raise. Uh, of course, it's not your job. But people notice when you're willing to do those kinds of things. And, and let me just say that since, since that time, many of you have redeemed yourselves. I, I don't know how many times I've seen some of you bringing trash in that was on the lawn or in the parking lot. Is it your job? No. 
I guess it's mine. I'm the pastor. But many of you are, many of you are really second mile people. And, and, and it gets my attention. And, and it certainly gets the attention of our Heavenly Father who sees every good deed, whether it's in the public eye or behind the scenes. And, and He's keeping the books. So when you do something little like that, when you clean the church, when you mow the lawn, when you pick up some trash, um, God sees it. He notices. And he's marking that down in his books. And, and, and one more thing, you know, if you as a Christian are not going to give your best effort at work, then do me a favor. Please don't let your boss or your coworkers know you're a Christian. And please don't let them know you come to this church. Tell them you go to the church downtown or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Don't lie. But don't, if you're going to be shoddy, if you're not going to give it your best, it, it would really be in your best interest to not brag about how close you are to God because they're not going to be impressed. So what is really happening when you go the extra mile and help people? Well, in Matthew 25, verse 40, it says, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then in verse 45, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So summing up these two verses, God is looking down on us, and he sees when we go the extra mile. He sees when we do those little unnoticed tasks. But he also sees when we don't do them because we don't feel it's our job. So back to our main scripture, Rebecca was faithful to that back-breaking task of drawing water. And watch how God rewarded her. Verse 54, Genesis 24 again. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank, spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they call Rebecca and ask her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will. Little did Rebecca, and this is so amazing, little did Rebecca realize that when she said, let me give your camels a drink, that God would open the door for her to be married to Isaac, which would put her in the lineage of Christ. Rebecca actually became the great, 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 nine, nine times great grandmother of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All because she chose to do something that wasn't her job and she went beyond the call of duty. So let's wrap things up with some closing thoughts. Number one, don't neglect the small tasks. Every evening, Rebecca went to the well and drew water for her family. What a seemingly unimportant task, but she did it faithfully. And it was that small, seemingly unimportant task that she did faithfully that opened the door for her to become part of the lineage of Christ. Our Lord said, you remember the scripture in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So faithfulness in the first mile, faithfulness in the small, seemingly insignificant tasks 
prepares you for greater assignments. Number two, don't sit around waiting for the big moments. You know, some are always dreaming about the perfect job coming along, and it's okay to better yourself and work towards getting a different job. But more than likely, more than likely, more than likely, if you're not happy with what you're doing right now, you probably won't be happy with what you're going to do tomorrow, with what you're going to do tomorrow. And that carries over to so many areas. You know, your spouse, if you're not happy with this spouse, you probably won't be happy with another spouse. If you, you're not happy with your friends now, switch friends, you're probably not going to be happy with them very long. And it could even carry over, you know, what if you're not happy in a church, you're probably not going to be happy in the next church. You know, someone said happiness is not a position in the company. Happiness is a disposition in the mind. You know, some people say, Joe, I bet you're a happy pastor in a church that has such a beautiful and functional and user-friendly building. And I'm just still amazed that God allows me to, to work out of this building. And I, I, I am so happy. But the honest truth is, and my family, my wife can vouch for this, I was just as happy ministering to the uneducated Aymara and Quechua Indians in Bolivia who worshiped in a church that was made out of mud. I was just as happy there. Happiness is not a position. It's a disposition. Some people think that they'll be happy when they get married. If they're unhappy single, they'll probably be unhappy married. The only difference is that they'll make someone else unhappy then. Number three. Do your best and then some and begin today. When you don't do your best, then you cheat your employer, you cheat God, and you cheat yourself. So I want to challenge you this week to go the extra mile. I challenge you to look for at least one thing you can do each day that goes beyond the call of duty. As you walk into work Tuesday, maybe pick up that piece of trash or pull that weed that's in the landscaped area. Is it your job? Nope. But it's the extra mile. Guys, in the morning, after you shave, if you do, if you do shave, wipe down your sink and make your wife happy. And all of the ladies said, Amen. Ladies, Maybe when you're finished getting ready in the morning, put away your 28 little makeup containers and brushes and curling irons and hair dryers and straighteners and eyelash thingies and whatever else all that stuff is. You know, we don't keep our tools such as hammers and screwdrivers and cordless drills on the sink. Smile, ladies, okay? Don't get mad here. But maybe you can put away your stuff. Or, or how about this? When you're at a restaurant and you get terrible service, what's the normal reaction? We get upset, we let them know about it, and we are stingy with our tip. Um, why don't you, next time that happens, give an extra large tip? Do they deserve it? Maybe not. But you didn't deserve a lot of the stuff you got either, and I didn't either give an extra large tip and I guarantee you the next time the wait staff will just about fight who gets to serve your table and you will get better service if you can't think of any second mile stuff come and see me I'll find you something to do I love to put people to work and I love to watch them work 
So as we bring things to a close, I just want you to let, I, I just want to let you know that if we as a church begin practicing Rebecca's second mile principle, and if we begin doing those little tasks, if, if we begin going the extra mile and we begin helping people that will never help us in return, I can guarantee you that not only will we take this town for Jesus Christ, but our marriages will be stronger, our church will be stronger, our friendships will be stronger, and our cars will be 25% cheaper. And all of the people said, because there won't be the upcharge for shoddy workmanship. We will be people of excellence that do the first mile well and then get people's attention because we also go the second mile with a smile on our face. I leave you with this scripture. Colossians 3.23. Work hard. Work hard. And cheerfully at whatever you do. Let me read that again. Some of you aren't listening. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Some of you are still not listening. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, your, your job, the, the tasks around your house, the tasks around the church. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. God, let us be people of excellence. God, don't let us just be people that try to get by with the bare minimum. Lord, let us, uh, let us do the first mile tasks with excellence, with joy, with cheerfulness, with happiness. And then, God, there will be those occasions where we will, we will take that backpack for that Roman soldier that is cruel and mean, a hard taskmaster. We will willingly carry his backpack a second mile. Lord, I just pray that on this Labor Day weekend when we just celebrate the workforce, as Pastor Darren said, we're going to celebrate by not working. Lord, I pray that we would be people of excellence at whatever we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What, is, uh, what do they say on Duck Dynasty? Be happy, happy, happy. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.